Thank you, Sean. I know we didn't want some feedback. Good morning, y'all. Doing all right? Good to see you. Good to see you all. Just a quick little update. Our church leaders are, are getting together here shortly. I've met with uh, the district superintendent and this past week, and he's, uh, he's curious to see what the heartbeat of our church is like and uh, wanting. So I want to take some steps to try to get him here, but I think, I think he'll be coming to maybe answer some questions and to see what, what y'all are like and what the heartbeat is of New Vision probably mid to late March. And so um, your prayers are appreciated. You know, we, we are, have got quite a transition. We've hit quite the transition, and uh, uh, the church today does not even look like the church that I interviewed three years and a half, three and a half years ago. Uh, so uh, as I was talking to them about that, we have seen some obstacles, but I believe we've also seen some victories. And so if uh, you all would join me in praying for that um, and, and praying for our leadership, we appreciate that. Do me a favor, if you would, uh, take a look up here on the screen. Uh, you, I've mentioned this earlier at our uh, quick announcement time that we have uh, different ways to give. You can see that. You can give online. You can text. You can bring uh, uh, an offering here. And, uh, there's At those giving boxes, those black boxes right there, there should be some envelopes. If that's what you would like to do is put an envelope or you want to give anonymously, it's up to you. Okay? So you can drop that in. And then the next slide, you will see that uh, there's a QR code there. Uh, for some of you, you probably rather have... Uh, I don't know what happened there, but something's going on with it. But you could just leave it on the QR code for a second, Patty, and then you can uh, fix it. Okay, so anybody wants to uh, download that, those of you worshiping online want to download the message notes for today and to follow along, uh, that'd be great. And that's the one way that you can do it. Oh, listen, church. Today I'm beginning a, a seven-part series, and so I really, really hope that you will join me. And I'm going to share with you why in just a little second. But got your message notes. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I'm there right now. But before that, I thought I thought it would be fun to uh, share a little email that came into my inbox. I, I love you, church. You guys always keep me on my toes and laughing. Um, and, and giggling, I mean, I laughed out loud on this one, this was hilarious, but um, it was Valentine's last week, and I hope that you felt the love of those around you, and also the love of God, but this is what came into my inbox. Grandma and Grandpa were sitting on their porch rockers watching the beautiful sunset, and reminiscing about the good old days. Grandma turned to Grandpa and said, honey, do you remember when we first started dating and you used to reach over and take my hand? Grandpa looked over at her, smiled obligingly, and took her aged hand in his. And with a wry smile, Grandma pressed a little further, just like grandmas do, huh? Honey, do you remember how after we were engaged, you would sometimes lean over and suddenly kiss me on the cheek? And Grandpa leaned over slowly toward Grandma and gave her this lingering kiss on the wrinkled cheek. Growing a little bolder, Grandma said, Honey, do you remember how after we were first married, you kind of 
nibble my ear <laughs> and then grab uh, slowly got up from his rocker and headed inside the house and alarmed grandma said honey where are you going and you can hear from a distance grandpa say gotta go get my teeth <laughs> oh friends we're today we're starting a, a new series looking at the cross in detail, and uh, you guys always keep me on my toes with, with the emails you guys send me. Keep them coming, okay? Good, clean jokes. Uh, but when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he made seven very public statements while he hung on the cross. And they're called, theologians have labeled these and did studies, and there's documentaries, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of studies and works of theology on this, but they're typically called the seven last words of Christ. Now, we know they're not the last words like I told you earlier because we know that he, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He resurrected. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he was talking to different people, right? Some of them were the disciples. So he said a lot more that came when he came back from the dead. But these right here, while he's on the cross, are family called the seven last words of Christ. And I'm entitling this series the seven greatest words of love. And, and, and every one of these words explains a benefit. Now listen to me, church. This is, this is very, very important. Every one that I'm going to share in the next seven weeks, leading all the way up to Palm Sunday, and then that week of Holy Week, we will have a special uh, uh, communion, uh, Good Friday service over there in the Children's Ministry Center, and then preparing our hearts for Easter, to celebrate Easter. So this is a Lent series, okay? Lent starts on Wednesday, and typically it starts with Ash Wednesday. If y'all remember the, the, in the Christian tradition, that's typically where they have the palm branches from Palm Sunday the year before, and they're burned, made into ashes, and people typically put a little cross on their forehead, uh, signifying that they have begun the spiritual journey of Lent and remembering what God... Now, not everybody does that. You don't have to do that. Some people give things up and, and do that, but... I want to do this series to help you stay connected in what this Lent season is all about. Amen? And so every one of these words explains a benefit to your life. See, teachers, this is what's so interesting about Christianity. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever, everybody on this planet, everybody realizes they know that Jesus died on the cross. Even whether they believe in Jesus, so not they know the story that Jesus died on the cross. But the reality is, friends, listen, listen, fewer people know that he died for our sins. If more people knew that he died for our sins, this would be a packed house today. Wouldn't you agree? People need to know that Jesus died for their sins. But even fewer people know all the benefits that Jesus paid for on the cross. So let me just say it this way. If you call yourself a Christian, you out of all people ought to know what Jesus paid for on the cross besides paying for your sins. Now, don't get me wrong. Paying for your sins is a big one. Amen? That, that's huge. That's a big one. But there's even more than what Jesus did while he was on the cross. 
So if I was to ask you, hey, make a list of the 10 benefits that you experienced in your life and eternity because Jesus died on the cross, could you give me instantly 10 of the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross for you? Now, if you can't give me 10 things instantly, friends, then you need to be here for the next seven weeks. Because we're going to look at what I call the seven greatest words of love. And today we're going to begin with this very first word, and that's the word of forgiveness. Word of forgiveness, which really is an antidote to guilt. Let me set this up. In Luke chapter 23, we have the story of Jesus right before he goes to the cross. And he's carrying the cross up, to, uh, up the hill to be crucified. And let me just read with you real quick what, what, what it says here. It says, a large crowd trailed behind, and, and he's carrying the cross, right, down that road, and he's carrying it up, to, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Look at verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, by the way, real quick, that is in the original language called Golgotha. Golgotha, which means the skull. If you were to go today to Jerusalem, actually, when this was, this was when Jesus' time, this was just right outside of Jerusalem, but now the city has grown so much that Golgotha is actually at the middle. It's at the center now of Jerusalem. And so um, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And look at verse 34. Jesus said, Father, now this is where we're at today. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. See, that is the very first thing, church, that, God, that Jesus says. After being uh, right there, uh, being crucified on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And then the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. You know, there was some gambling going on. And the crowd watched and the leader scoffed. Save! He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save. Lord, would you by your grace ignite a fire in us today? Or by your love for us, would you allow us to hear your truth today that changes us from the inside out? Lord, would you give us new spiritual eyes to be able to see your truth and what you have for us? Especially as we journey in these seven weeks looking at the Word of God and what you have to say on the cross that benefits us today. But thank you for your Word. Amen. Friends, the first word of love on the cross is called what I call the Word of Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is really the antidote to guilt, friends. It's just what you and I need for today. Now, you got your message notes? I hope you got your notes. Maybe you downloaded it. 
But on the inside, on the left side, at the very top, it says what we usually do with our guilt. See, I want to really tackle three things this morning. That one, what we usually do with our guilt. And the second one, what does Jesus want us to do with our guilt? And then you will see on the back of your notes, it says, what Jesus does with my guilt. All right? So I want you to make sure that you're following along. Now, if you're carrying any guilt this morning, there is no reason why you ought to leave here with any more guilt. This is the time to let it go and get it dealt with, the word of forgiveness. Now, let's go back to our notes right here. What do we usually do with our guilt? Let me give you three things. I want you to write these down, all right? The first thing that we do with our guilt is this. We bury it. But most of us, that's what we do. We try to bury our, our guilt. And um, we, have you ever heard this statement before? I used to hear this when I was young. Uh, you got to bury your past, young man. You got to bury it. You know, the issue is or the problem is that it just doesn't work to bury the stuff. Because it, it doesn't stay buried. It's kind of like a zombie coming back for you. You know, it, it just comes back to life. That It just doesn't stay buried. You can't bury your best. You have to deal with it. Look what it says in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 5. This is uh, David writes this. When I refused to confess my sin, I was naked and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Now, and he's talking, you know, he's kind of like taking it out of himself, right? He's refused to confess. But then he says, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Front, let's face it, every single one of us in here, we have our favorite way of dealing with the past. You know, you know, some people, maybe it's not you, but some people, the way they deal with their past is they minimize it. It's no big deal. Come on, man, that wasn't that big of a deal. And they try to minimize it. Try to minimize it in your mind. It's no big deal. Why, why do you feel so bad? That's not me. Look at so-and-so. I mean, it's, it's just no big deal. Why does it still keep bugging you? Why can't you forget it after all this time? Well, some people try to minimize it. Here's the second thing some people do. might not be you, but they try to rationalize. They say things like, well, a lot of other people have done this. Man, all these people are doing it. And that's really trying to make you feel not as guilty. But you know what rationalize is? Is to tell rational lies. You're trying to convince yourself and rationally say, well, that was that. And it's not a truth, but it's a lie. So you tell yourself rational lies. Not, not only that, some people minimize it, some people rationalize But you know what other people do? They, they, they compromise. What they do is when they feel guilty, they just simply they just lower their, their, their standards and they say, that's not a sin anymore. I mean, that's, that's I mean, way back then, man. We, we don't deal with that now. That's, that's way back then. We're in the modern times today. It's no, you know, it, 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 and yet you used to think it's bad, but you don't think it's bad anymore. It's because they compromise. Look what it says in Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your what? Your sins. Why? Because it will eventually catch up to you. And, and, and talking about catching up to you, 
Thanks to social media. Thank you, Instagram. Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Twitter and all these inter the internet. Everything that you say is now permanent, global, and searchable. It's never going away. Yet we try to bury it. It doesn't work. What else do we try to do with our guilt? I want you to write this down. Is that we blame others. We try to blame others. We, we want to shift the blame to other people. Now, this is a tactic, honestly, friends, is as old as creation. Y'all remember the story when God made the earth and, and, and man and woman? Do you remember in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, that they sinned? Remember, they, they disobeyed God. They, they took of the forbidden fruit, remember? And, and in the midst of that, where they disobeyed God, they knew they sinned, Adam took it like a man, and he blamed his wife. <laughs> he blamed his wife. They both took of the forbidden fruit. But when God comes and says, Adam, what did you do? Look, look what it says here in Genesis uh, 3.1. Look at this verse. Three twelve. All right, we don't have it. Well, let me read it to you, okay? It says this. God comes to Adam and he says, yes, Lord, I admit it. I did what you said not to do. But it was the woman you gave me who brought me some and I ate it. I mean, that's in the Bible in Genesis 3.1 right there. The woman you gave me, right? No, notice Adam. Takes it like a man, right? He's, he's blaming and excusing, right? He not only blames Eve, He's also blaming God. Do you hear that? God, if you wouldn't have created my wife, then I would have never have sinned. It wasn't for her. Because you created her. You gave her to me. And by the way, I didn't have a choice, God. He was the only woman for me. <laughs> right? So I married her. But, but let's face it, and all joking aside, friends, we even try to blame God. Look at this verse in Proverbs 19.3. Look at this next verse. People's own foolishness ruins their lives, but in their minds they blame who? The Lord. They blame the Lord. If God, if you would have just given me a different family, God, if you would have just given me that job that I really, 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 really wanted. God, if you would have just given me a different set of parents, like my roommate in college parents, those parents were cool. If you would have given me parents like them. Lord, if we just had a different pastor. Oh, Lord, if I just had a different... See, the list goes on and on and on. We make our own choices. And so a lot of people, what they try to do, is they, they just want to bury it. Blame others. Here's number three. Write this down. We beat ourselves up. The third thing we do is we, we beat ourselves up. Now, this is a common thing to do. A lot of people, uh, when they feel guilty, 
We just hammer ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We pile on. We, we self-administer punishment. You know, and subconsciously, we try to pay for the mistakes. And so, you know, here's the punishment. And we subconsciously try any of that. As a matter of fact, David said this, I was miserable. It felt terrible. The struggle had evaporated out of my life. The strength had evaporated out of my life. But look at what it says in Psalm 38, verses 4 and 6. My guilt has overwhelmed me. Do you hear the tone in there? Like a load, it weighs me down because I was foolish. I was dumb. The original translation is a lot stronger than that. You can guess what it's saying. I am bent over and bowed down. I am sad all day long. Friends, if you ever see someone bow down sad all day long, we have a word for that. They're depressed. They're blue. They're down. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. You know the problem with punishing yourself, friends, is that you don't know when enough is enough. You don't know when to stop the punishment, so you just keep it on and on and on and on and on. And let's face it, if the truth were to be told, y'all look great on Sunday morning, but if we were to sit down over coffee and you were honest, gut level honest, some of you are still beating yourself up from things that happened 5, 10, 15, 30, maybe even 40 years ago. And you're still beating yourself up. You did it this morning. And friends, that's wise. See, these are the ways that we typically try to deal with guilt. Most people try to bury it. Others blame. Other people, sometimes they beat themselves up. But friends, let me tell you, that is not what God wants you to do. That is not why he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. For you to bury, blame, and beat yourself. So what does Jesus want us to do with our guilt? Let me give you three things, okay? I'll buzz through these real quick. But number one, the Bible is very, very clear, friends, very specific about how you get rid of guilt, this guilt trip, the guilt trap. And the steps are very, very simple. But can I say this before we, we dive in? These steps, three things, are very simple. You've heard them probably a million times. But they're not easy. Simple, but they're not easy. Here's number one. The first step is this, admit it. Proverbs twenty twenty seven says, The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. You might want to circle that. We cannot hide from ourselves. That's why guilt is so devastating, friends, in life. I I can hide what I've done, my sin from you all. You can hide yours from me, but you can't hide it from yourself. Look at this verse up here on the screen, 1 John 1, 8. Look at this verse. I like this verse. Go back one. There we go. First John 1 John 1.8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The, the, we deceive ourselves. In other words, you're lying to yourself. We're doing that rationalized thing again. If we claim to be without sin, we just deceive ourselves. We don't deceive God. We're just deceiving ourselves. And then he says, the truth is not 
in us. You've got to start. I guess the, the starting point, friends, with dealing with guilt is just admitting it. And once you've admitted that, friends, then you're ready for the second step. And it's this. Write this down. Accept responsibility. Admit. Accept. Accept responsibility. That's the second step. That means I'm not going to blame anybody else. Many of you might, might know the story of King David. You might realize that when he was king, he was looking out of the balcony and checking the town out. And he saw down there this, this house uh, a beautiful, gorgeous, nude woman on the roof. Now, is that where you go to bathe? Especially knowing, hey, there's a palace right there. So, you know, why would she do that? You, there's, there's a lot of two, two to tango kind of thing. But knowing that the palace was looking down on you, she continued to bathe there, and David looks down. And when David saw her, and many of you know the story, eventually that led to adultery. He was married. Um, it also led not only to adultery, but murder. And in the midst of all of this, because King David had her husband killed, the, the woman, she got pregnant with David's child. When David writes about this moral failure, it's an inventory. And as a matter of fact, you know where it's found? In Psalm 51. As a matter of fact, we, we sang about that a little bit ago. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you want to read it, just check it out. Psalm 51 is David's moral inventory. He begins the list in confession of sin after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And in that, he doesn't blame Bathsheba, not even a percent. He takes it all on himself. Look what it says in Psalm 51, Look at dump, jumping down to verse 3. He says, I recognize my faults. I am conscious of my sins. Friends, what is the best way to ensure that you have accepted responsibility for the, for the dumb things we've done in our lives? What is the best way to deal with that? Now, this might shock you, and it's not very conventional. It's one of the reasons why I have had a hard, hard time trying to get these started here in the church. That one of the best ways to accept responsibility is to tell another person. Whoa, whoa, wait, Pastor. You mean, you, you, you're kidding, right? You mean, you want me to tell my deepest, darkest, dirtiest secret to somebody else? And my answer is, yeah. Listen, you don't go to the office gossip <laughs> to do this, all right? You don't go and find a gossip. You don't go find the person that's going around. I've got a prayer request. You know what Pastor Ish did the other day? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not, that's a gossip. But what you do do is you, you find a friend. You see a true friend. A true friend walks in when everybody else walks out. friend is someone who can listen to your worst sin, dirtiest, ugliest secret, and say, I still love you, man. I still love you, honey. And everybody needs at least one person in their life like that. Admit your faults to another person. 
And, you know, in fact, God says that this is essential for letting go of guilt. Did you know that? Now, this isn't Ishmora telling you this. This is what the Scripture teaches. Look. Many of you have confessed your sins to God, right? And, 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 and yet, you're probably thinking as you're hearing this message, then why do I still feel guilty if I, after I've already told God? Because, friends, you haven't dealt with this step, this step right here. You've confessed your sins to God, and that's, if you want forgiveness, that, that's all you need to do. But for some of you, you've confessed your sin to God over and over and over and over and over again, and you still feel guilty. But you've never told not one other soul in your life. But yet, here's what God says. I want you to look at this, the book of James. Look what it says in James chapter 5. Now, I'm hoping, Lord willing, if, it, if, it, if things allow, uh, uh, the pastors and I will do a series this summer on the book of James. On, on, on these different marks of maturity that we're taught about. What does it look to be a mature believer? We'll, we'll look at that. But here's what God says in James 5.16. Look at this. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be what? It didn't say forgiven, did it? It says so that you may be healed. You might want to circle that because that is key, friends. So let me explain this. If you want to be forgiven for the stuff you've done wrong, the way you've missed the mark, the way that you have sinned and disobeyed God like Adam and Eve did, we've all done it. If you want to be forgiven, all you need to do is just come to God. But if you, friend, are still haunted by your own emotions, and if you want to be set free, you need to tell one other godly person. Tell one other person in your life. What did, the, what did the Bible says? Confess your faults to one another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. This, this phrase is not up on the screen, but I want you to write this down right there in the side margins. Can you do this? Write this phrase. because This is one I use all the time. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of of healing. Would you write that down? Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. And God says, admit your faults to each other so that you may be healed. And I, I, I know, and, I, and I've seen this in the church, friends, for many years now. I see this all the time. People will say, Come on, Pastor, why do I need to drag another person into the, my mud? Why do I need to drag another person into this? Friends, I'll tell you why. It's simple to say, but, but profound in its meaning. The root of all our problems is relational. Do you get that? The root of all our problems is relational. And you say, no, this is just between me and God. Friends, as your pastor who cares for you and loves you, I want to speak the truth to you. I'm telling you that the root of your problems is relational. Just, just take a look at the last problem you had. And we're all dishonest with each other, and we, we play games, and we wear masks, and we pretend. I also want you to write this down. Write this down. Here's another one that I want you to write down. I'm only as sick as my secrets. I'm only as sick is my secrets. Secrets make us sicker. And we hold on. 
And the way to get healed is revealing your feeling because it's the beginning of healing. And the more you hide, listen, the more you hurt to reveal your feeling. Everybody needs at least one person in their life, friends, that can be totally honest with. It's God's way of freeing us up. That's what, what we, why we need to be connected to each other. When I said, you know, I, I've tried to start these many times here at the church, and, and that, those are small groups. That's where you share those things. You share them in a group of other people. And I've told you this many times before. Well, here's, here's my cliche phrase. Ready? The building's not the church. The church is not the building. You come to temple courts for worship, but house to house for fellowship. But this isn't something that we like to do, confess to each other. And, it, and it's difficult, I get it. And a group doesn't have to be big. It can be you and your spouse. So I admit it. Go back to this. I accept responsibility. Here's the third thing. The third thing is ask for forgiveness. It's the third thing that Jesus wants us to do. Admit, accept, and ask for forgiveness. Now, friends, there are so many promises in the Bible about forgiveness. The, if you just take the third step, I want you to look at 1 John 1, 9. I, I put it in the uh, Philip's paraphrase. And, but Philip, uh, 1 John 1, 9 is, is, is a famous verse. It says this, If we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utter, utterly reliable. No, 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 notice this, friends. I love the way the paraphrase puts it because it doesn't say that if we, if we freely admit we've sinned that we find God utterly punishing, utterly mad, utterly angry. It doesn't say that. And a lot of people think, well, if I admit to God, God's going to be mad at me. Come on, friends. Do you really think that God doesn't already know? Like, like when I blow it and I come to God and I say, God, I'm really sorry what I said. He goes, oh, not my Ishmora. What? He's not shocked. He's there. I love you. If we freely admit that, that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. He forgives your sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. And like I said earlier, friends, there's no reason why you could walk out of church today feeling any guilt. We're dealing with this today. So I ask for forgiveness. Just ask. Look at this next verse in Romans 3.23. It says this, all of us have sinned. Well, duh, right? All of us have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who is, who, who in his Mercy freely, you might want to circle that freely. You don't have to buy it, you don't have to brag about it, you don't have to bargain for it. Freely takes away our sin. Isn't that good news? Man, I thought I'd be hearing some amens from that. See, notice it says, if you just trust, if you just trust in Jesus Christ, you say, but, but pastor, you, you don't know what I have done. And my response to you is this, yeah, you're right, I don't know, but it doesn't matter what you I, see, as your pastor, I don't need to know what you have done. But I can tell you this. What matters is what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what the cross is all about. 
That's what this Lent season is all about. When you look at the cross, Jesus hangs on the cross, and the first thing, right before he, he dies, he's on the cross, the first thing of phrase, he says, For God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So the first message of good news, friends, the first message, the first word of love on the cross is the word forgiveness. And when you come to God humbly and honestly with these three A words, admitting, accepting, and asking, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He comes and his immediate response is, on the cross, forgiveness. That's, isn't that exactly what you and I need today? Isn't that exactly what your neighbors need? Your coworkers need? What your family needs? So what does Jesus do once he takes away our sin and takes away our guilt and we ask him to forgive our sins? Once we do these three A things where we accept, ask, and admit, I'm going to give you three words to write down, okay? And I want you to buzz through these real fast if I could. What Jesus does and what he wants to do is this. Write this down. Number one, he forgives me instantly. What Jesus does with my guilt is he forgives me instantly. He never makes you wait. The moment He doesn't say, oh, you want to be forgiven? Let me think about that one. I'll get back to you tomorrow. He doesn't say that. It's instantly. The moment you ask, there's zero delay. And by the way, there's a myth going around today and friends, it's a big one, but it's out there, and you might have bought into it. I don't know. But there's a myth today that says that feeling guilty makes me a better person. God help us. My grandma was great at making me feel guilty. All the time. But there's a myth out there. You're feeling guilty, you feel you know, you, you feel like you're a better person. Friends, feeling guilty does not make you a better person. The prophet Isaiah writes this in chapter 55, verse 7. Look what he says. He says, God is merciful and quick to forgive. God, God does not want you to walk around feeling guilty. God doesn't make you miserable. Walking around feeling guilt does make you feel miserable. Friends, by the way, we're holiness church, right? This is a denomination and that's the roots of who we are. Listen, friends, guilt is unnecessary for holiness. You don't need it. What does Jesus do with my guilt? Forgives instantly. Number two, write this down. He, God, forgives me completely. Completely. He's just not quick, only too quick uh, and merciful to forgive, friends. And when Jesus died for your sins and when he died for the world on the cross, which, uh, which sins did, did God include on the cross? Yes, all of them. He died for all of them. Jesus allowed himself to be nailed on the cross so you can stop nailing yourself to your own cross. Amen. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, and he says this, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He has forgiven all your sins. Circle all. 
He has forgiven all your sin. He has utterly wiped out, circle wiped out, the evidence of our broken commandments, which always hung over our heads and has completely, now circle completely, and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Friends, it, what Jesus did on the cross is the super stain remover. And look at all those things that I asked you to underline. All wiped out completely. Can you say that with me? All wiped out completely. Completely annulled. Now what does that mean? It is as if it's never happened. This is it never happened. was in uh, Oklahoma last week visiting my oldest. Josh was a junior in college. You guys all probably know that. Of course, mom and dad felt generous to take Josh and his friends to lunch. So we go do that. And I pay the bill. But can I tell you, I haven't thought about that bill since I brought it up right now. Matter of fact, I wasn't going to share anything about a bill. <laughs> but how often do you remember a bill that's paid for? You hardly do. You, you really don't remember it. And, and if God has forgiven, and not only forgives, but He forgets sin, that's what He says. See, when you keep recalling what has been forgiven, friends, it's, the problem isn't God. The problem is you. The problem is that you don't understand complete forgiveness. Because every time something bad happens in your life, you think, well, God is punishing me for what I did. Can I tell you, that's not the way that God works. He doesn't work that way. What does Jesus do with your guilt and mine? He forgives it instantly. He forgives it completely. And here's the third thing. Write this down. He forgives me freely. This is good news. He forgives me freely. There's another letter the Apostle Paul writes to another church in, that, in Ephesus. And look what it says in Ephesians 1.7. For the sacrificial death of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. Friends, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's all a gift of God's saving grace. Because you are human, friends, forgiveness is our greatest need. Amen? Amen? And because Christ died for you, forgiveness is God's greatest gift. So let me just say this. Have you been haunted by a secret sin? You could be set free. The Bible says this last verse right there in your notes. Look at this. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. What happens for those whose guilt has been forgiven? What relief for those who God has cleared their record? 
Man, what a great verse. God wants to give you happiness, and God wants to give you relief, as the Scripture says, friends, from the guilt and the things you felt for the things in the past and the things that you've ever done wrong in your life. And so you don't need to beg for this. You don't need to bargain for this. You don't need to bribe God. You just believe. And, and let me just say this this morning, friends. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and that he's the savior of the world, if you don't let Jesus pay for the sins, then you're going to have to pay for the sins. Because the fact is, somebody has to pay for sin. There's a wage. You know what wages are, right? They're earnings. They're, 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 They're the result of what you, they're compensation for what you've done. And the Bible makes it clear that the wages or the compensation for sin, the wages of sin, is death. And and Jesus died on the cross, friends, for you and for me. That's how much God loves us, that he paid those wages on the cross. That is God's grace. That is God's mercy. And so, friends, if you've never settled this, I I want you to do it right now. I I want you to accept and admit Ask so that you can be free from the guilt and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You don't have to walk out of here. You don't have to uh, log off online and and feel the guilt anymore. Let me me just say this before I pray with you. If if you don't take care of this, if if you don't handle this, you're going to end up with three choices. If you don't do what I just said about asking the Lord forgive you and be your Lord, some people, what they'll do is they'll go out and they'll blow it and they'll do it again and they'll do it again and do it again. Some people, when they blow it, they, they, they sin. They just go into depression. They go into this blue. They're down and they're pressed and they feel bad about themselves. That's the second option. The third one is that some people... When they blow it, they try to become super saints. Ever met anybody like that? We find them in churches all over the world. They become super saints, perfectionists, legalists, phonies, Pharisees. I did a series just a few months back, remember? Dealing with toxic people. They go around judging everybody else because if, if well, if I don't feel good about myself, I don't want you to feel good about yourself. See, let's face it, we all take different paths in dealing with our unresolved guilt, unresolved shame. As I said, friends, it all begins and it's all relational. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pause if you would bow your heads right where you're at. I'd like to pray with you. Where you're at, no one looking around. Father, I know without a doubt that there are some here today who are struggling. 
maybe even listening in online, that are suffering under an immense load of guilt and shame and regret. And for some people, Lord, it's been eating at them for years. And so, Lord, my prayer is that today, may this day be their release day. May they find that on February 19, 2023, it was the day of relief. Let this be, Father. May it be your will, the day of freedom that comes with your forgiveness. Now, friend, I invite you to pray. Pray these steps that I just led you through for forgiveness. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and the steps of salvation, do something like this and say something like this. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to come forward. The Bible doesn't teach that. You could just sit right where you're at and just declare this in your heart. Say, dear God, You know everything about me. You know everything that I'm ashamed of. God, you know my regrets and my sins, but today, Jesus Christ, I admit I need forgiveness. But not only that, Lord, I accept responsibility for what I've done. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm not going to make any excuses. But God, I want to say thank you for what you said on the cross. Father, forgive them. That's me. I believe that. And so I ask you today, Lord, to forgive me. Take away all of my guilt and all of my shame. Thank you for paying for my sins on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And Lord, now it is in faith I accept your free gift of forgiveness and salvation. Thank you for forgiving me instantly, completely, and yes, most of all, Lord, thank you for forgiving me freely. Please help me to feel forgiven when I leave today. Please help me to forgive myself and to forgive everybody else around me. And with your head still bowed, church, You pray that prayer. I want to say to you that today, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thank you, resurrected King. Amen.